It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk baseball? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my co-host John Riley from our studios in San Diego. And we welcome you to a special Monday podcast the day after the San Diego Padres baseball season ended. John Riley, I don't know what your emotion is. But I'm in a funk because the intensity of following and covering the baseball playoffs was special. And there's nothing so sudden as to the end of your season when you get knocked out of the playoffs. And if I feel bad, the Padres must feel bad as they hold their exit meetings and clean out the clubhouse. And how do you feel? Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, right? I mean, we're riding the thrill of uh, winning in New York then winning against the Dodgers. And then we figure we got the number six seed. This should be smooth sailing, right? And it didn't work out that way. We were hoping the team would come home. You know, it's it's bittersweet. On one hand, you're disappointed. The season comes to an end. But, wow, I, I, everyone's got to agree. They probably outperformed what our expectations were. So, you know, good on them. And let's look forward to 2023. Okay, before we dive into topics on the table, I want you to explain to all of our followers on live stream and then who sample our weekly podcast, how do they subscribe to get the alerts of all the things that we do weekly and then what we place on the podcast during the week? All right, Lee, so there's a lot going on with the the subscription opportunity. So, of course, if you're on the Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, you can subscribe to the audio only. But if you want to get all the alerts, get on Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's YouTube page, click on the subscribe button and click on the bell. And when you do, you'll get alerts when there are new episodes and when we post new video segments. Okay, let's talk about issues as it relates to the Padres, what the Phillies did to the Padres, what's going to happen in the offseason, and then obviously on we go to the World Series. I'll make this statement at the top. I wrote a long column this morning on my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and I invite all you Padre fans to sample what I wrote. They won 95 games this season, 89 regular season, six playoff games. They went three rounds deep. Weirdest feeling for me. It doesn't feel like it was a 95-win season. It doesn't feel like it was a great season, but they were still playing in mid-October. Am I wrong, or... Do you feel differently? Yeah, I mean, it was, we haven't been this deep since 98. I mean, so this was kind of uncharted territory for us as Padre fans. And um, yeah, I mean, we were just kind of riding a high the whole way through. Um, So yeah, it was nerve wracking. It was emotional. Sadly, it came to an end. Uh, Okay, let's talk about some statistics because the game revolves around what you accomplished, what you got done, what you did not get done. As it relates to the Padres, they hit 224 in the postseason. Uh, The Padres had 125 strikeouts in their playoff games. Mm. Hitting was a problem for large chunks of the season. So just because we flipped the switch to a new postseason doesn't mean things were going to change in the batting order. Part of my heart says, so close to being on the World Series, but part of my heart, John, says, you look at the batting order, you look at the statistics, you look at the postseason, 
they weren't that close, yet they still won 95 games. Yeah, I mean, during the, I'm thinking about during the regular season, how much we were frustrated that they seemed to be underperforming and not reaching their potential. Then they get in the playoffs and suddenly Grisham comes out of nowhere and, and Nola starts hitting. But then we get into the NLCS and those guys went back to their former form. Five for 54, 093 at the bottom of the batting order. Not very good. On top of that, the Padres just did not hit for most of the season with runners in scoring position. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the roster is what the roster is, what A.J. Preller gave Bob Melvin to manage and things of that nature. Uh, and it's not going to change just because you're moving on to a very different series. And they didn't hit it at Citizens Bank Ballpark either. Uh, and I, I, I think one of the bottom line disappointments to me all the excitement and the price they paid to get Soto and Bell from Washington, it really did not work out. Let's be realistic here. Uh, Soto winds up hitting 236. Bell winds up hitting 192 since they came here from Washington. Huge disappointment to me. I don't know what you, Padre fan, thinks. I mean, Bell was hitting over 300 when we got him. And how in the heck is he hitting under 200 since he comes to San Diego? There's just, it's something is perplexing here. Um, and then, yes, yeah, Soto didn't have the start of the season like we've ex- seen him in other years. He still underperformed. He had a few shining moments, but overall, Preller made the moves, but they didn't pan out. I also think the other, other thing that adds to this is your pitching staff from year to year is never the same, John. And I think the reality is. There's a lot of miles and a lot of innings on this pitching staff. And as great as you Darvish was, he's not young. And Joe Musgrove was unbelievably consistent, tough as nails, a bulldog. But he's got another year and all those innings on his arm. I don't know what to make of the enigma that is Blake Snell, Jekyll Hyde. So they, they really they wasted a year of phenomenal quality starts and the bullpen, when healthy, was as deep as anybody in baseball and really a difference maker, but that's gone away. So I guess I add all these things from not hitting to Soto and Bell to the lost opportunity with so many quality starts. I use the word disappointment. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. I mean, on one level, they they were, you were surprised they made it to the NLCS. But on the other hand, if you were thinking about how we were going to start the season— we thought the NLCS was a very big possibility, especially thinking that Tatis was going to come back in August, and that went to hell. So this has been such a crazy year as far as our expectation and where they landed. We sometimes were upside down or right side up. But yeah, there's a lot of questions going in, in the offseason. And you brought up Tatis. Uh, I, I can't walk down the street without this flashing in my mind. He betrayed him. He was selfish. He was stupid. He's injury prone. Statistically, he's a great player. He betrayed them. Think, would we be in the World Series if that shortstop, if El Nino had not done what El Nino did as it relates to the steroids? I think we would. Now, we don't know whether he would have stayed healthy. Would the shoulder have popped out again? Would the wrist have flared? Uh, As we've gone through now the end of the season, into the offseason, He's had a second surgery on on uh, the wrist. He's completely in the middle of the rehab on the shoulder. 
He'll serve only a 20-game suspension once the season starts because the bulk of the 80-game suspension was served at the end of this season and then because the Padres stayed alive in the postseason. But uh, I just feel betrayed. I, 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 nobody in the clubhouse wants to talk about it. It was as if he was a non-factor and not even part of the team. By the way, he's lost his top four corporate endorsements, uh, led by Adidas defecting almost immediately, and then Gatorade and a few others, all in the wake of the suspension. So I feel betrayed. I don't know what Manny Machado and the Padres feel. What do you feel? Well, the the players in the clubhouse have got to be just really angry about how the whole thing went down. I mean, for me, you know, as a parent, uh, I can see in my own experiences, I know that when I was in my early 20s, I did some dumb things and things I'm not proud of. And you look at what Tatis is going through the same thing. It's just that he's going through it with the spotlight, the media attention and a 300 and what, $40 million contract. He was supposed to be the face of the Padres, maybe even the face of baseball. So dude needs to, he needs to grow up. And I think he seems like he's turning the corner. He's agreed to the surgery. He's checking in with Bob Melvin every other day. Let's hope for the best that this young man can turn it around. I think what bothers me the most about Tatis is he came from an entitled background, came from a Major League Baseball family. He knows right from wrong. He knows what's legal versus illegal. And yet he went out and he did this. Uh, I just think he's betrayed. Okay, we'll set that aside. Let's talk about what happened in the final game. Let's talk about the Padre manager. And I'll give you my opinion and then you can foul it off and then give me your opinion and you'll probably hit a home run. Well, I mean, everyone loves Bowmel, right? He he's the man with the experience. He's he's the guy that can guide the team. But in that final game, he sem- seemed like he fell back into playing it by the book, you know, rather than seeing the matchups, seeing the situations, and you know, not bringing in um, Hater to face Harper. A lot of people are questioning that. I mean, even bringing out Darvish to start the seventh, I thought that was something because Darvish was up in the 90 pitch count area. So he seems like he sticks with his guys and and trusts them and respects them. And that's great. But there has to be limits to that. Well, let's talk about what happened in the bottom of the ninth inning with Blake Harper coming up. Suarez has been trustworthy. He had given up one run in 20 innings over about 20 appearances. This guy was one of the surprise acquisitions who is a real solid role player. However, this is Blake Harper. This is Citizens Park Bandbox Ballpark. Don't you want your best Josh Hader, who has dialed this thing back in, versus their best Bryce Harper? Now, no doubt Suarez has been a dominant guy, but Hayter has been beyond what Suarez has been over maybe the last three to four weeks. And then you add in left-handed pitcher, left-handed batter. Suarez hangs one out there. Harper hits it the other way. Two-run shot. Philadelphia lead. Three outs later. Game over. Uh, I would not have taken Suarez out with the exception, you had a greater, more experienced flamethrower left-hander to go against Harper, the left-handed batter in the box. I would have gone to Hater. I was surprised he did not. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you've got to say, okay, Hater is a shutdown left-handed pitcher. We like to use him in the ninth, but 
he needs to be that high leverage guy, you know, in those critical situations. He, and if if Melvin could have brought him in in the eighth, that doesn't necessarily mean Hader has to go the full distance. He's got other guys in the bullpen if if Hader kind of got into a little bit of trouble. But when you've got a mono-on-mono matchup, you've got to go with your guy. But Suarez is interesting. Suarez obviously had a great season, great pickup by Preller and his, and his scouts. But kind of think of it as sort of a bookend season. I mean, Suarez kind of gave up the home run to lose it, but he also had those nerves in an opening day in Arizona. But everything in between, the dude was great. Yeah, he was rock solid. And, you know, the wild card, and you're correct, that if Hayter got Harper out, that changes the, the, the Philadelphia batting order, even if even where it was. And if we went to extra innings, or if they won the game, or there was a struggle, you still had Luis Garcia, who's had an equally impressive season, as the backup to Hater, if need be. But, so I'm, I'm disappointed there. I thought what Melvin did, you're, you're terming on the headline, fatal mistake, I thought was right on. One other item, the Trent Grisham bunt. You know, track back a, a, a half inning. Padres, first and second, one out. Grisham at the plate with the chance to add on or tie the game. And what happened? Grisham, instead of taking a couple of swings to see if he could get a base hit or move the runners over, laid down a bunt. To a degree, I guess it looked like a sacrifice. To a degree, yeah, it worked. But you gave up your second out of the inning Rather than seeing if Grisham could put the ball in play, drive him home, maybe mm-hmm. a single, mm-hmm. maybe two run score, maybe just one run scores. Yeah, he moved him up to second and third, but then it was second and third with two out. And it wasn't, it should have been a drag bunt. It should have been, I'm going to drag it down the third baseline and make that Alec Bohm feel it, or I'm going to drag it down the first baseline and make that pitcher come way off the mound and feel it. Instead, he bunted it, but it went right back to the pitcher, and Ranger Suarez wheeled, made a good play, close play at first base. So should they have given Grisham two swings, or was there a fear Grisham, who had no hits, was going to bang into a a game-ending, season-ending, series-ending double play. What do you think should have happened there? Yeah, I mean, he's got to take swings there, especially with a man in scoring position, because he demonstrated that he could hit the ball earlier in the playoffs. Um, was he trying to lay down a drag bunt? And that they said that he was. That was kind of the idea. You know, slick surface, a lot of things could happen. Um, but he didn't get it down the line. And that was just really disappointing. But yeah, with one out, runner on second, you can't just move the guy to third with two outs. Um, you're not giving your team the best chance to win. So now you know why I was in a funk on Sunday night as <laughs> yeah. I was writing a column on my website. And while I'm still in a funk as we do our special Padre Monday broadcast. Okay, well, Lee, I got a question for you. What did, What are your take on Melvin taking out Martinez after the third inning and put Manaya in to start the fourth? I was a little surprised he went to uh, Nick Martinez as early as he did because I thought I I thought the pitching would be Clevenger Manaya, but Jekyll Hyde they're both like that, mm-hmm. and Manaya has been a disappointment. Clevenger has been a disappointment, but that's with an asterisk. He's got so many physical issues that he's got to deal with in the off season. Uh, Nick gave him as much as he could. Remember, they shortened him when they moved him out of the rotation into the bullpen. And he became a max effort bullpen guy for an inning or maybe two at the most. And I think Nick would have taken the ball and gone out there again. But I think was he was probably maxed out. 
So Manaya, in essence, kind of became the long man and not real trustworthy in the composite of all the things he did since they got him from the Oakland. They started well, horrific middle stretch, last couple of starts, okay, most important time of the year. He failed again like Clevenger failed again. Yeah, I, I just thought Martinez was going great. I mean, for three innings, and you knew Manai was a question mark. So why not let Martinez keep going? I mean, he has been a starter in his past, and yeah, they haven't extended him lately, but this is like an elimination game. You know, you got to like, let that guy roll for a while and see how far he can go. Okay, we hope you're enjoying our Padres special broadcast, our end of the season wrap up before we move into a couple of other items, what should happen in the offseason and what the World Series looks like. John, again, explain to all of the people on live stream and those of us that follow us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and all the audio platforms, how they can subscribe so that they get alerted immediately when we post things on our podcasts. Well, so, you know, you can subscribe on YouTube and click on the subscribe button and the bell. You'll get alerted when there's a new episode. If you're following Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on Facebook, um, you'll also get alerts when the the podcast is, has the live stream going. Um, so lots of opportunities for you to subscribe and also on the audio only platforms like a, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go click on that subscribe button. That helps out. OK, this season is now completed by virtue of what happened in Philadelphia. We're marching towards the offseason, and here comes the burning question. What does A.J. Preller do with this roster in the offseason? If I were king, Will Myers, first name on the board, I'd bring him back, but not at $20 million. He can take the gamble and go out on the open market. He's not going to get $20 million probably anywhere. Does he wish to stay here, be a multi-position guy, hardworking Pros pro. Worth twenty million? No. Trent Grisham, center fielder, not paying him nine million to come back next season. I guess we kind of see why Milwaukee let him go. Trent Grisham, great glove, singles hitter, occasional home run. I'm not giving him nine. If he wants to come back, he can be my center fielder in some type of platoon, maybe, or first guy off the bench. This whole Fernando Tatis situation is probably part of the conversation about what happens uh, in center field. Third guy, I, I just, I, I'm not sure what they do over Clevenger. Contract is up. They had signed him to a two year, $11 million extension while he went through the rehab. Didn't pitch very well. Still got knee issues. Uh, herky-jerky motion of concern to me because I think it leads to another breakdown. If he'd come back for $5 million, yeah. You, you, as much condemnation as there is in our community about Clevenger, understand this, though, John. He was 41-26 and 26 in Cleveland before he got hurt. I mean, he was a dominant pitcher. He was part of that whole young Indians rotation that included the controversial Trevor Bauer, the arrival of Shane Bieber, etc., uh, I, th- I still think there's talent out there. If he'd come back for $5 million, if I were king, I'd, I'd probably keep him there. Uh, I think that the Padres have to evaluate why Ryan Weathers regressed. Regressed so bad, they never called him up at the end. And he, when they had pitching injuries, they never really thought about putting him back on the rotation. So they've got an offseason that they have to evaluate why with him. And then Adrian Morion who I think found a role as a short reliever, but he's big and tough and sturdy. Do they want to commit to him to make him a starting pitcher again? Now, understand this. 
he had, I want to say, six different arm issues in the minor leagues as they moved up the chain. Now, he came here from uh, Cuba as a very young pitcher, and he could throw the daylights out of the ball, but he had elbow problems, shoulder problems, clavicle problems, back problems. He had a wide variety of things that's got him. Now, he finally had a healthy season. So what role do they devise for him? If I were king, those are some of the things that I consider. How about you? Yeah, Clevenger is an interesting piece. I mean, because you could tell that he legitimately likes it here in San Diego. He's got some great relationships with Musgrove and some of the pitching coaches here in town. Um, there, there's he's someone made a comment on Twitter that the the Cleveland. Clevenger is still in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came off his second Tommy John. So that first year back is still going to be rocky. I think Martinez deserves a shot in the starting rotation. Morahone was the number five starter a few years back and did great until he had, he um, hurt his arm. So he, he should be given an opportunity to compete. And Ryan Weathers, I mean, what the heck? I mean, he goes to AAA. I mean, everyone's hitting the ball, you know, up at the high elevation um, but you would hope that he's a guy that we can resurrect because he's a number one draft pick, you know, first rounder. And, of course, they got rid of so many other first rounders led by Mackenzie Gore. And all these guys are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of them had pretty good seasons. OK, on we go. Let's talk about, uh, first of all, Philadelphia. I, I don't think anybody expected them to be a World Series team. Of course, I don't think anybody expected the Padres in other cities to be a World Series team. What a job by Dave Dombrowski. Uh, I, I think that the, the phrase I can use to describe what he has built, they got a batting order. Anybody can hit home runs any time of the game, any day of the week in that batting order. You know, now granted, they're not all terrorists. Harper is a superstar. But Reese Hopkins had 30 home runs in the regular season. Look what Hoskins did to the Padres in the oh, postseason. Yeah. And then you got JT Rio Muto, who I think is as good as any hitting catcher and defensive catcher. That's quite a combo in Major League Baseball. And you add in Castellanos, and you add in the second baseman, the, the pepper pot second baseman that had good games and bad games for the Phillies in that series. I mean, Dombrowski's done a heck of a job, and, and their pitching staff has fought through a lot of adversity and a lot of inju- injuries. They had been building that pitching staff, and they kept having setbacks. The, the Aaron Nolas of the world, he survived. Most of the other guys they brought along with him that all arrived at the same time did not. Uh, but, boy, Philadelphia is a really, really good team and a really dangerous team at Citizens Bank Ballpark. Yeah. I mean, Dombrowski, you got to give him credit. I mean, he's been around. I mean, he's got some really great experience. He, I think he worked his way up in the Expos organization way back in the day. And he then, helped build Montreal. Yeah. Look what he accomplished in Detroit. Mm-hmm. What did he do with the Miami Marlins? Yeah. Obviously, and what, what he's doing there. Yeah, so he knows what buttons to push. He knows how to construct a roster. So you got to tip a hat to Dombr- on Dombrowski on what he's done. And, and interestingly, a lot of the free agents that he signed, like Castellanos, like Schwarber, those are guys that we heard, you know, rumor mill that the Padres were considering. But Dombrowski got him, and now Dombrowski's going to the World Series. Tell you what, let me throw some stats at you for a minute here. The Phillies and the Padres at CB Ballpark. Um, Phillies against San Diego, those three games, hit 282. (laughs) 282, seven home runs, 13 extra base hits. They're 5-0 at home in the postseason, and Philadelphia's 9-2 overall in the playoffs. And think about what Philadelphia did. 
better than the Padres, and the Padres did pretty well. Philadelphia walked into St. Louis and won back-to-back. Philadelphia went into Atlanta and beat the 100-win Braves, and then the Phillies obviously dispatched the Padres. We like to think that A.J. Preller's done a good job as general manager. That guy, Dombrowski's done a really good job. Yeah, I mean, we were talking like last week about how the pitching is so dominant in the playoffs and batting averages across um, the board for all the playoff teams is way down. But here, like the Phillies sitting, what, you say 280 what? 282. 282. I mean, that's like hitting over 300. I mean, relative to how these other teams are doing. So, yeah, I mean, the Phillies are hot at the right time. Let's talk Astro baseball. This This is a pretty good team. And I know that there's an asterisk next to any conversation now about Houston, sign stealing, garbage cans, and all that. Well, they got rid of everybody in that front office that was involved in that garbage. Uh, And they got rid of some players, or some players left them. For them to flip this thing so quick and kind of get into rebuilding and bounce right back is amazing. Gone. Charlie Morton, who was the ace in one of the World Series staffs, he's still in Atlanta. Gone. George Springer, big money contract, Toronto. Hasn't played as well in Toronto because he's had injuries. Gone. Carlos Correa, $100 million contract, shortstop, Minnesota Twins. And they have turned around. And what they have done with a new leadership regime and what they've done with the roster is absolutely spectacular. Homegrown, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, Jeremy Pena, the closer, Ryan Presley, and the second and third starters, Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, all homegrown within a span of about two and a half years since the sign-stealing scandal. Now, you may hate them. You may dislike them. <laughs> you may get your garbage can out and bang it while they're at bat in the World Series. But that organization done a heck of a job. And John, fourth fall classic in a six-year span for the Houston Astros, and they've rebuilt it. In a span of 18 months. It's incredible what they've done. And you're right. I mean, on one level, we keep saying, ah, cheater, cheater. But I looked it up there. I guess there are five guys on the roster that were still there in 2017. Um, But still, you're right. They get rid of their whole front office staff. They jettison almost all of their roster. The manager's gone. Baker goes in there and kind of, you know, rescues the team, puts some uh, credibility, some integrity uh, behind that brand of the Houston Astros. And wow, look at what they've done. I mean, this is really an incredible team. And like Philadelphia, anybody, anytime can hurt you with their bat. Same thing in Houston. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of bats. Here's a stat for you. At Minute Maid Park this season, they hit 250. That's a pretty good number. Mm -hmm. 214 home runs to complement the 250 batting average. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive. And during the uh, regular season, 257, 116 home runs at home. At home. So, I mean, it's a really, really dangerous Houston team. And the fact that these are home run ballparks, you think there'll be a few balls in the stands at Citizens Bank and at, at Minute Maid? You think <laughs> it's going to be like home run derby? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, we get into the World Series. Um yeah, those parks play. I remember when they first built Minute Maid. Remember they had that mound like in the deep center, center field, field yeah. with the flagpole in the middle and all these funky things. They got the train up there and and everything else. Uh, but you know, it's going to be an inter- interesting World Series. I mean, this Astro team is unbelievable. And what's interesting also is. They were talking to Musgrove, you know, after the whole New York Mets checking his ear thing. And 
someone asked him, they said, well, hey, you were on that 2017 Astros team. And Musgrove came clean. He says, yeah, we cheated. Yeah, we got caught. Um, so it's, but he was such a minor part of that team. I mean, he really wasn't the guy doing the trash can or the guy in center field texting the, the pitching signs. But it, it's just, it's just a really amazing storyline what's happening in Houston. I don't know what to think of the Friday opener. That is Justin Verlander against Zach Wheeler against batting orders that can go yard any time. It's, it's going to be wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, every fall classic is great. Like I said, October is the best sports month. And uh, we got a great World Series to look forward to. Even though we're still feeling a little bit sad for our Padres, we've got, uh, you know, a great, a, a great series to look forward to. I will say this. I really got tired of hearing the Rocky theme in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. And I like Elton John, but I don't like Philadelphia Freedom. <laughs> that was blaring all night. And I'll guarantee you, we'll probably get tired of hearing that train whistle if the Astros start hitting home runs and that train keeps running along the upper left field wall. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's electric. And I'll tell you, the bottom line on, on all this conversation is baseball hit a home run with the playoffs. You know, when they, when they came up with the idea of the play-in game, the, the one-game wild card that they used for a couple of years, my first glance was, boy, it sounds like a bad gimmick. A cheap stunt. But now that they've expanded it and it's best of three into best of five into best of seven, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's drama. It's really, really good theater. And by the way, there's a wild card team playing on the World Series. Who could have thought that would ever happen? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. I love the format. The the one and done, you know, one one game like they've had in previous ones for the wild card, that seemed a little extreme. The three-game series is pretty cool. Now, what's interesting is on, on your YouTube channel, you know, people love responding and leaving comments after these videos. And one of the one of your fans was typing in on the, the, the Dodger uh, video segment we did, and they commented that, you know, when teams are spending this amount of money on these rosters and they go into a three or a five game series when anything can happen, he was saying maybe they need to do seven game series yeah. just because of the investment that was made. But to your point, I love the drama and I love the excitement. And, you know, it's great seeing the, the you, know, Goli- you know, David beating Goliath. I will say this, and I'm a baseball addict and a junkie like you are. I really enjoy John Smoltz as an analyst with the job he does in the booth, not just not just talking about X's and O's and this pitch here and what you got to throw that guy there. His ability to just to analyze from the player's perspective what they're going through, the grind of a 162-game schedule, what a 154-game schedule would mean. Uh, the, the, he's a thinking man in the booth telling us about the manager and what he has to do to set up the bullpen. Who does he bring in here compared to what he might have to do later, compared to what might have to happen tomorrow. You know, five games in five days. That's a different animal in postseason. That's like that's not like playing five games in a row against the Orioles and the Kansas City Royals in July. Um, John Smoltz just he just brings something so different. I think to the TV broadcast booth, and I, I love the Padre broadcast packages of Don, Don Orsillo and Mark Grant and the, the baseball stuff and the fun stuff that they do. But I'll tell you, John Smoltz is just a thinking man, guys, in the booth. And he just pauses you from watching directly just the, the X's and O's of the game to thinking and theorizing 
this, that, and the other. I mean, he's kind of like what Tony Romo is to the NFL in the booth, right? You know, a guy that's been there, has the experience, and he is a thinking man. But Lee, yesterday, I was getting sick and tired of Smoltz telling us how you know, when the pitcher comes down the hill on the mound and puts his plant foot, you know, he's got to have like no give there. Yeah. I must have heard that 23 times well, during the broadcast. The weather, it was crummy fall weather. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the soggy conditions, the mist, the darkness, the dampness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of added to the attitude that we all had by 4.30 yesterday afternoon of of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our uh, special Padre Monday broadcast. We remind you again, uh, if you enjoy what we do, spread the word, text, email, tweet, all your friends to sample our weekly podcast and our special broadcast. And I invite you also to go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. I write on it every day and tell everybody what we are doing in terms of covering not just Padre baseball, but covering sports. John, we'll be back at it on Thursday, and we'll dive into the NFL and talk more about the World Series. All right. Looking forward to it, Lee. Have yourself a great day. Thanks for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.